It's Monday the 15th of April 2019. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. After an all-roof show last Monday, both my guests today come from outside Broadcasting House, I'm pleased to say. They are Geeti Chandra, a teacher of English Literature and Studies of Gender and Violence with the United Nations University and the University of Iceland. And Magnus Svein Helgason, historian, journalist and former editor of Iceland magazine. Welcome to you both. Thank Hi. you. Uh, now, no single issue dominated this week, which is always nice because it gives us the chance to really choose what we want to talk about. Uh, the most popular story this week on Ruv English was actually the European Union Intellectual Property Office's decision uh, to rule in favour of Iceland that the supermarket chain called Iceland cannot trademark the word Iceland all over Europe. Um, our president was in Russia last week meeting with Putin and joining other Nordic leaders at a conference on the future of the Arctic. And in the same week, a memorandum of understanding was signed for the creation of a new trans-shipping container port in northeast Iceland that backers hope would take advantage of new Arctic shipping routes. So probably a link there between those stories. With the uh, general private sector unions asking their members to vote on the so-called quality of life contract or welfare contract um, at the moment, other unions like teachers, tradespeople and state employees are reminding us that their collective bargaining negotiations are only just beginning. Parcels received from overseas look likely to be more expensive in the future as the government pushes its bill for delivery charges to cover the post office's losses. Uh, that one did get quite a sharp reaction on social media. And then there's the handball uh, European Championship qualifiers, of course, and the, finally the government's list of priorities in dealing with human trafficking, following news that not a single person has been prosecuted until now. So, uh, where should we begin? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, the, the Iceland trademark thing reminded me of a similar battle in India many years ago. There's a company in Texas that wanted to trademark basmati rice. <laughs> uh, simply because it was traditional in India. No one had ever bothered to trademark it. And then everyone in India, whoever used the term, would have to pay them. And uh, thankfully, the Indian government won that one. So I'm kind of... No, yeah, I, I think this case is a, it's a perfect example of this absurdity of trademarks and yeah. trademark disputes and, you know, how private corporations can trademark and, you know, things which are obviously public property, like, you know... Yeah. Basmati rice, yeah. the, the, the term, but yeah, how, exactly. how on earth could you trademark that? Or Iceland, for that matter. I mean, this is, it just boggles the mind. And, you know, whenever you, I have told this story to mm -hmm. foreign visitors and friends of mine, that Iceland is actually a trademark, you know, <laughs> word in the European Union. And that there's a supermarket, you know, a, a sort of a, a low-end supermarket in the UK that has no business outside the British Isles, uh, you know, a couple of, of stores on the European mainland, a few in, in Spain and, you know, what, three in Iceland or something yeah. like that? Yeah. You know, a, a, a small business basically like that can trademark the name of a, a, a you know, a, a sovereign nation that's been around for 1,100 years. The supermarket was founded yeah. in 1977, I think. And it's just absurd, you know, the, the fact that Iceland won this case, of mm -hmm. course, you know, I, I don't know if that restores your uh, faith in humanity or something like that, because <laughs> the fact that this, that, that the supermarket was able to trademark this in the first place, yeah. I think raises serious questions about trademarks, because, it, you know, you wonder what other, you know, absurd cases, you know, can go through, because, I mean, the Basmati Rice, Iceland, yeah. these are so 
slam dunk, you know, obviously you... But then, then you have all kinds of cases that must be on sort of the, the grey line, mm. where the courts will, you know, <clears throat> uh, rule in favour of the, 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 the defendant who has more money and, you know, m- more highly paid, uh, you know, lawyers fighting for them. I mean, you, you here you have, you know, a sovereign nation, Iceland, or, you know, mm-hmm. India, <laughs> a country of yeah. billion people. Yeah. They can prevail. But what about, you know, smaller, you know, people who have no... no exactly. Rep- Stateless people or, you know, minorities mm. or, or, you know. I mean, the idea that you have to trademark a country's name, mm. you would imagine that it's absurd. But um, this, I mean, this could be a precedent, couldn't it, for other countries having to do the same thing? I mean... I don't know how it works. I mean, there's India Inc., for instance, and no one's ever bothered to say that you can't use India because we've trademarked it. <laughs> uh, it sounds so patently absurd. I think the... so the uh, And the other thing also about this is that... Uh, as I understand it, the, mm-hmm. the the reason why this that that the Icelandic you know it it went that Iceland sort of pursued the case was also because the supermarket had been harassing the Icelandic tourism board for the use of Iceland in advertisements because they had trademarked it, and so it's mm, yeah I, I think this this whole story just raises the, the you know it. it it makes so obvious that there are serious problems with yeah. trademark laws, and there are serious reasons that we need to really look into abolishing them. And you know the, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just the end. Then you have the, the you know how uh, popular culture can be you know privately owned and you know inaccessible to you know the the, the masses. You cannot reproduce uh, or you know make put your own spin on artworks because they are trademarked for, you know... Mm -hmm. I mean, what would happen to Andy Warhol then, right? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Very good point. Yeah. And this is... uh, And the reason why, you know, things that... uh, What is it today? You... It's... um, I mean, you... Things which are obviously part of the public domain and should be part of the public domain, things, you know, cultural uh, creations which are the property of all Mm. are the property of corporations who can then, you know, bar people from using them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was this case about this uh, U.S. Co- company which had uh, supposedly owned the rights to, uh, you know, happy birthday to you. Now, wasn't that Michael Jackson? No, there was a... Um, there's a rec- recording company which uh, really? owned it, yeah, yeah, and because it had been recorded at some point and they had been able to extract uh, royalties from... I, I think there's a few. I, I can't remember this exactly, but it, this is another. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a few years ago. I think they were struck yeah. down. But the, the point being that you know things which are part of popular culture, mm. Mm. you know, public property. Yeah. In the case of this Iceland ruling, um, I don't. I'm not entirely sure where the advantage or disadvantage lies because the supermarket chain isn't being told to change its name. It's allowed to keep its logo. So, you know, what does this mean for them? Are they, there's no punishment involved or anything like that, is there? I think there should be a penalty for wasting the time of the court, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they would even go out there and say that Icelandic companies cannot use the name is so ridiculous. It can be used in, in marketing <laughs> by Iceland of Icelandic products. And this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they are, you know, psychological damages yeah. to the Icelandic nation yeah, as exactly. well. <laughs> yeah. I think in India there was a lot of... Um, uh, drain off from the Basmati case because there were a whole bunch of um, traditional remedies, um, including turmeric. I mm-hmm. think turmeric paste, which we use liberally in India on everything, as an antiseptic thing. Um, 
And so that they actually, the case extended into uh, folk remedies and indigenous knowledge and stuff like that, that then sort of had more ramifications outside of India. Um, that was interesting. So, so not just public property in terms of, you know, culture, but also uh, folk knowledge. And what was that, a company trying to trademark the word turmeric? Is that... No, the use of turmeric, right? Uh, the the yeah. use of turmeric as a paste, it was like a medicinal thing. I mean, it's one of the reasons I think that in Indian food, for instance, turmeric goes into everything, but it's also used as uh, as a, uh, a balm. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's like an antiseptic, essentially. And, and so this extended into various sort of folk knowledge and folk remedies and hmm. things that people take for granted. I think, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, this, this story... And these Indian stories, mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, they are an example of corporations effectively attempting to, you know, steal yeah. public property. Mm. Yeah. You know, cultural concepts or, you know, uh, pop popular knowledge mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, make it their own and then charge everyone for yeah. using it. This is yeah. basically theft. And so in, in that sense, I think, you know, you should not only you know, rule against them, but uh, there should be some sort of punishment. I mean, the only punishment I can think of is, you know, I never shop at Iceland, the supermarket, <laughs> because of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess on the other side, though, where, where, where's the distinction between a pop song and a popular song like Happy Birthday, if it was written by somebody and... <clears throat> Time. At, at at some point, things enter into the public uh, domain, and they should be. They become part years, of... Right? of Sorry? I, sorry, I interrupted. I think it's 25 years, right, where the copyright... Uh, well, the, um, uh, in the US, I think it extends, uh, you know, it's something like, you know, back to uh, the 1920s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so 25 years doesn't sound unreasonable, but Happy mm -hmm. Birthday is a lot older than that. Of course. No, yeah, in the US, this extends to the 1920s. Mm -hmm. If it's 80 years or, you know, the, the exact rule, I'm, I'm not, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not an expert in this, but the, 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 the principle, I think, <clears throat> should be that of course, there should be, you know, artists and what inventors and what have you should have, you know, the right to their products. But those rights should not be regular property rights that then, turn, you know, can be corporations own them for, for perpetuity, which is yeah. the, 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 the sort of move here where, I, you know, Iceland had the, you know, the name been upheld. I mean, I imagine Iceland, the supermarket could have kept it as long as it existed and... No. Quick final word on this. What does what does this actually mean in the real world? Is I mean, is there any actual change going to happen, or is it just that we can use the word Iceland without being scared of being sued? <laughs> <laughs> is there anything above that? No, as I understand it, the, 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 there had not been real you know problems other than this that the supermarket had on several occasions you know interfered with Icelandic marketing campaigns. Uh, the Inspired by Iceland campaign, apparently, they had, you know, mm -hmm. interfered with and complained about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as I understand this case, the the implications will simply be that the supermarket is no longer able to, or, or rather that the Icelandic tourism board and, uh, you know, Icelandic companies that want to use the term Iceland marketing their products and do that without fear of, you know, the supermarket, you know, harassing them or their lawyers trying to extract, you know, money from them or... Lovely. Disrupting them. Yeah. Good. That's yeah. excellent. Good news. So the world is a little bit better then. Yeah. <laughs> um, where should we go next? 
Ah, gosh, I find this this um, container port really interesting. I mean, this is climate change politics, mm-hmm. right? How the world is changing, uh, economies, and you know, and so on. Um, I I remember it was um, was it maybe ten years ago, maybe twelve years ago that Russia actually went and planted a flag on their continental shelf. Um, it which was at under the, north, the ice yeah, at the at time. The north, yeah. yeah. And they said, well, you know, this is Russia. And at the time, people were like, you know, this is ridiculous. You can't just go around planting your flag as if this was, you know, the 16th the century. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and they said no. And, and there have been several studies, I think, and they've resubmitted this thing literally every three years or something. I think the latest was in 2016 when they've they've done all of these studies and and resubmitted material to the UN to say that actually that continental shelf is part of Russia according to various geological and and you know legal um uh laws um so you know i think this is just it's it's fascinating to me mm-hmm. Yes. I remember geology and climate change and all yeah, it raises all kinds of questions of, about you know climate change and geopolitics yeah, you know, yeah. and Russians you know, sort of a renewed Russian interest in, in in sort of projecting its power in the the, mm. in the northern uh, the container port idea doesn't seem to have any direct Russian involvement no that's a, a German company I yeah. believe hoping yes. to bring in large ships from China. Mm-hmm. And then trans through the northern route, of course, th- through Russian water. So uh, this is, you know, the the, you know, growing Russian power in the yeah. Arctic, and this port and the shipping lanes through Russian waters and through the Arctic are, you know, so that's why I say it's connected to the the, the geopol- geopolitics and mm-hmm. the, the rise of, of Russia. Absolutely. On the one hand, people can look at this and they say this is crazy. We're trying to profit from climate change. It's disgraceful. On the other hand, they're saying, well, the, the route is a lot shorter. We'll be emitting, mm-hmm. emitting less um, carbon into the atmosphere. So yeah. there's two sides to every story. Yeah, I um, I don't know if you were, if you remembered, but um, a few years ago, or maybe last year, um, they wanted to clear a path between India and Sri Lanka, uh, which has like a natural underwater bridge between the two uh, land masses because it was so much cheaper for ships to go right through there um, rather than to go around. But there's this whole uh, uh, mythological connection to that landmass mm-hmm. that was created by the god Ram, etc., in his battle to go and get his wife and so on from Sri Lanka. Um, and they basically ruled against it. They said, you can't do that. It's, uh, I mean, like that that bridge, underwater bridge, was basically... I don't know, intellectual property, <laughs> religious property of the yeah. people that you couldn't just go out and destroy it because of... Certainly uh, natural property. I mean, yeah, I guess. Ecosystems, and, yeah. I mean, that's not how it was defined, but uh, they just refused to let them do it. Because of its importance for people... It's mythological to, importance. Yeah. There's this entire, you know, belief that this is how it was formed. And they said, you can't just get rid of it because it'll be cheaper for you rather than going around Sri Lanka and... Fascinating. So on. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And there this are is... definitely similar arguments to be made for the Arctic region. Mm-hmm. And there's also the third, you know, side to the story, which is, you know, you say it's okay, so there's climate change and, you know, we shouldn't be profiting from that. And, you know, then there's this other thing is, you know, well, if the world has already changed in that way, why don't, you know, we, we ship goods through, mm-hmm. it's going to be cheaper and less uh, yeah. pollution. Because, but the, the, the third side to that is then this issue of uh, uh, 
pollution in the Arctic. So um, major, um, you know, shipwrecks, imagine, are more dangerous in Arctic waters. Mm. Uh, so for for the the cleanup, um, these kinds of things are far harder. So the effects of a, a and the likelihood of, of serious accidents are larger than and greater than uh, if it, they go the other mm-hmm. round. And so there is there's that. Uh, and finally, you know, th- then there is this geopolitical issue, which is also an, another side to the whole story. So there are so many parts of the story. And, you know, one of them is then this, that, you know, there's sort of a, a giant uh, production there in the northeast of Iceland, um, building a, a giant container port. This will be, you know, the, the, the local labor pool there will not be able to, you know, supply the construction workers and the, the, the you know, staff, the, the, the facilities. So it will have to involve, you know, massive importation of, of labor, most likely from abroad. And, I mean, this, it's a question of, you know, because, you know, one of these biggest questions that Icelanders have been grappling with for the past decades has been the the depopulation of the countryside mm-hmm. and people moving to the the capital and no no less than in the northeast of exactly no, the northeast has been especially uh, hard hit uh, but do you solve this by importing you know low wage labor from other parts of the world to work in you know giant factories like the the aluminum smelters or the the the, the uh, or the uh, the dams built mm. to, to supply energy for that. I mean, what did that do for the local economy? It created a massive boom that lasted for a few years, and then the air, you know, exits that bubble, and you are left with sort of, you know, hollowed-out uh, communities. And So th- there is a question, you know, do we need giant projects like mm-hmm. this to revitalize those parts of the country, or do we need more balanced and growth, mm. which yeah. is more sustainable? I mean, as I understand it, much of the profits from that aluminum thing did not actually stay in the country. And then there's they the actually that, went know, out, the... and this German company will also have like 66%. Exactly. And so th- that money will not will not necessarily stay in the country. No. I'm also kind of thinking that then people actually have a financial stake in keeping that route open. So should climate change actually manage to reverse itself... Uh, which, you know, I mean, it's doubtful, but that's what everyone is, is striving towards. You actually have financial investment or stake in keeping that route open. And it also creates, sure that yeah, ice, that's, this is, that's a good point. Because know, it, it creates it's like a, a counter, counter force yeah, to it, reversing climate change. And creates, you know, it creates, there, there will be people in Iceland who have sort of a stake in, you know, climate change, yeah. so to say. Yeah. Mm. Which is not good for the, the, the conversation on climate change, that there, that there are people who have a massive financial stake yeah. in it actually, you know, unfolding. That's a very, very good point, isn't yeah. it? That's I mean, it, it poisons the conversation. So, I mean, I mean the, the reason why the, the whole climate change thing is as bad as it is, is because there are massive financial stakes. Exactly. There are oil companies who, <laughs> you know, have a financial stake exactly. in the whole thing and have a stake in, in thwarting intelligent conversation. And so far, <coughs> arguably, you could say in Iceland, the conversation has been on the other side. That mm-hmm. we've got all this yeah, relatively. I mean, we just Absolutely. recently got rid of the, 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 the or, you know, we, we escaped the Icelandic oil, uh, you know, the boom. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and but then now this thing. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I think, though, that the Icelandic conversation is enlightened enough to survive that, but it's not good. And to, I mean, we need to guard against sort of 
people trying to claim that climate change is great for Iceland because of yeah. some yeah. nonsense. Yeah. It's never great for anyone. Good point. Yeah. Maybe we'll move on from there. Yeah. So, seems to have So one up good news and one bad. Or <laughs> we ended on a negative <laughs> note here. <laughs> we ended on a, on a good note and one mm. negative note. Mm. I don't think many of the other stories are that positive, apart from the wage negotiations. Yeah. Um, so as we as this goes out on the on online, um, the Vafer Union wage uh, voting will have finished, um, and Edling, I believe, are, are still currently have theirs open for another week or so, or let just yeah, I think week. it's uh, the twenty third or something. Yeah. But I'm not sure. You know, when the the, the voting finishes mm. ends for for Epling. Do we have any sort of? inkling as to which way this is going to go. Have there been any opinion polls on if it's going to be yes, we like this deal, or no, we don't? I don't think there have been any, any you know, polls on it. No, I haven't seen any. So, but, you know, I, my sense from the, the media and the public conversation is that, you know, it's relatively positive and that most people see that this as a, a you know, you know, the best deal that could have been gotten and then it brings a lot of, you know... Um, yeah, the unions won a lot of their demands, even though, of course, you would like to have, you know, of, people always would have wanted to get more. But um, I mean, it does not solve all of our economic problems or it does not, you know, you know, make Iceland the, the, the workers paradise or anything like that. You know, this is a long term struggle. Mm. But I, as I understand it, you there's, you know, it has it's a relatively good contract, especially you know, considering that it it's it's struck in the middle of the bankruptcy of Wow Air, which was oh, no, no, we're not mentioning that this week. <laughs> <laughs> so the the news in Iceland at the time were not, you know, I mean, the, the and the the other thing is, uh, so the, the 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 positive reaction from the the employer's side mm. is also, and yeah, I mean, it seems that everyone agrees that it's a responsible contract. Which you know struck you because in the, the lead up to the con, the, the, or in the negotiations and the lead up to the negotiations, there was this the, the sense in, in, in a lot of the, the media, you know, the, the was that somehow the the world would end, <laughs> the sky would fall, and you know what have you. But yeah, I mean, it's ticked quite a lot of boxes. A lot of people seem very happy with it. It's covering over a hundred thousand workers, so it's a big deal. Mm. But it did kind of suck in all of the media attention, and mm -hmm. and now we're finding out or re-realising mm -hmm. that a lot of other unions are, are just starting out on their on their negotiations. Teachers, for example. Yeah. Um, what do we know about their demands and, and, and their conditions that they're working with at the moment? Um, I just want to say that I think it's great, speaking of positive notes, that this is a country that takes its union seriously. Yeah. There are a lot of countries that don't. Uh, and, and, and it's not necessarily, you know, the U.S., which demonizes its unions and actually makes them illegal in many places. Um, but even in India, where they're perfectly legal and so on, um, especially sort of uh, tradespeople and teachers and so on, are simply not treated with the respect that being a teacher, I think, is their due. I have kids in school here, and I certainly want the best for their teachers, which means the best for my kids. But I think people just don't, often people don't see it that way. And I know that in India, fighting for teachers' wages and so on, we're constantly telling people that if you give peanuts, you will get monkeys. 
Uh, if you want good teachers, you really need to pay them. Teachers need more degrees, uh, not just to get a job, but to keep their jobs and to keep moving ahead than pretty much anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, that, their trade is knowledge. So, and so the training keep, comes with it. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 part of the uh, of the definition. So it just seems to me that it's it's great. I think to see that unions are taken seriously and negotiated with, and you know, mm-hmm. I think that's really positive. Mm-hmm. I think there's the, you know another side sort of to this uh, whole story is that I mean it, it's uh, sort of a, a growing you know. Uh, I don't know if, if you know radicalization is then necessarily the right word, but uh, I mean we have been seeing uh, a more sort of uh, assertive labor movement in Iceland and a more radical labor movement, and we have we're also seeing you know uh, stirrings. I mean, in, in for example, like adjuncts at the university mm-hmm. who are not unionized, who are not represented, and you know who who do not have any sort of collective bargaining rights. Uh, there have been rumblings among them mm-hmm. several times that you know they need to organize, they need to get together to to define defend their rights, and this seems to be sort of uh, again gaining momentum, and this is important. I mean, I think that is th- this is the long term story. So we have you know a single wage negotiation which ends well, and uh, you know what have you? We we win uh, or people win uh, some of the demands, and but the longer story mm-hmm. is I mean how how able are uh, ordinary people workers you know the people who actually you know make this whole thing happen i mean it's not the ceos do not run the companies they need all their employees to do the actual work uh, and so you i mean that, that people are asserting their uh, rights they are asserting their uh, power they are fighting for their rights and they are trying to make the society that they live in a better society, so that they're able that, that they are able to, you know, lead fulfilling lives, and uh, and we have um, and you know make ends meet. Mm. And there seems to be not just in Iceland, but also in the U.S. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned the U.S., that there seems to be a, a rising realization among workers that they need to assert themselves, and that they, you know, they don't nothing. They will not get anything for free, so to say. That they will have to fight for it. And so the adjuncts at the University yeah. of Iceland are organizing. We see similar things in the U.S. where teachers, because you mentioned yeah. them, have been striking in the, in the mm-hmm. you know for the past year or so. There's a spike in in labor unrest <laughs> or union organizing yeah. in the U.S. And one just hopes that because I mean, who is going to? So we talked about climate change. Who is going to fix climate change? I mean, we we well not the oil companies for sure. <laughs> I mean, ordinary people. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who will have to do that, mm. and the the only way to do that is if people organize, if people realize that they have power and strength in numbers, and that they can use that. And so, uh, if people are awakening to that, mm-hmm. I think that's an extremely positive. Yeah. So the the I think the big sort of takeaway from the the <clears throat> you know the the labor uh, the the wage negotiations and you know this this whole episode and this rising sort of um, you know assertiveness of the Icelandic labor movement is that you know. People are, you know, yeah, they're not. They are awake. They are awakening. People are willing to organize, yeah. adapt. And there seems to be from the other side this willingness to reciprocate more than there used to be. It's not just no, you can't have anything. It's. I'm kind of wondering because the the government listens to the unions, but 
from universities and schools, there is a growing trend and has been for the last many years to keep people as adjuncts mm -hmm. and not give them tenure jobs of any kind. And this keeps them vulnerable uh, because their contracts are renegotiated every, you know, so many months or whatever it is, every term. Um, and I know that in the U.S. this has been going on for the last 25 years where adjuncts are essentially living in their cars, mm -hmm. uh, going from, you know, job to job. Um, I know in India, for instance, state universities are trying to hand everything over to private universities and keeping everyone ad hoc or adjunct so that you can't actually demonstrate protest, etc., because then you don't get rehired, you're vulnerable, you don't have, you, you can't even make life decisions. Should you get married and have a child? Well, mm -hmm. you don't have a steady income, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it sort of trickles down into everything. So I, I think that is possibly why people mm -hmm. are finally doing this. But I think there is like this counter push to keep people vulnerable. I think, that, you know, the other thing is, you know, keeping the mass of people vulnerable and, you know, keeping people in higher education vulnerable. Mm -hmm. This is not a recipe for a healthy, stable society. <laughs> no. It's the recipe for, you know, social dissolution. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And it just, yeah. again, I think it, it, it boggles the mind. That yeah. we have, you know, you know, uh, the powers that be are willing to sign off on this sort of a policy that is obviously undermining society. But again, here I say, you know, the, it's the the people, the workers, you know, actual people, everyday people. Mm -hmm. They they can take this back yeah. and you know try and ensure that we have a society that ensures that people can you know make ends meet and live a, a, a you know a, a decent life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I am very sad to say, but we're actually out of time. Well, good oh. we didn't get to the, the handball because I know nothing about handball. <laughs> <laughs> or the human trafficking where then one gets less polite. Uh, okay. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, um, the week in Iceland is taking a break over Easter, uh, but it will return to roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, to the Roof app, and as a podcast on Monday afternoon, the 29th of April. For now, it's thanks to my de to my guests, even Giti Chandra and Magnus Helgason, as well as to Lydia Gretasdottir for making the studio work. We like to finish the show with the number one song on the Raustver chart, and this week that's Oeder, featuring, featuring GKR with the song Osovin. Enjoy the long Easter weekend, and bye for now. <laughs> Augun alltaf að opnast Heila brjótur ég klopna Í tvend Í tvend, í tvend Hólur að innan, kann ekki að finna til Hóni stjörnur hrað, ég ekki stjörnur bliss Halli palli, ég ekki gorgeous einn í heiminum Það er svo erfitt að sjá þig brosand á ljósmyndum Fartíðin á hælanum og kvíðan út í maganum